Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Good morning. Man, it is, it is good to be here this morning. Um, we, we are not in the book of Hebrews. We are moving on to a new series. Um, but before, before we, we start that, I have, I have an announcement to make. Um, uh, you probably have seen the cards maybe on the table. You've seen it up on the screen or heard about it. We first announced this at uh, Boo Off Broadway, um, passed out all these little cards to all these kids. Um, but for those of you who have been a part of Crosslink for a while, know that we do this thing called Breakfast with Santa. Uh, it's uh, usually the what first second second weekend in December um, and it's always been on a Saturday morning um, uh, however uh, there's been something kind of in in the mix uh, probably uh, maybe two years maybe last year I don't know for how long but uh, there's been this discussion of how amazing would it be if we didn't just have Santa here but we had one of his reindeer <laughs> and so uh, what what we have been able to do, which has changed a few things, the title one and the day as well, we we secured a reindeer, a live reindeer, um, and a Friday night, the what's the date? The eighth Friday night, the eighth. Um, we are doing night at the North Pole. So instead of Brett was with Santa, Santa's still going to be here, but we, now we have a live, real reindeer. Uh, I don't know which one, uh, Dasher, Dancer, I don't know, but. Uh, Prancer. Uh, yeah, either way, we're going to have a live reindeer. So so we've passed out all of these cards. Now, w- with this change, um, it's going to be a Friday night, not a Saturday morning. We're still going to serve pancakes and sausage because who doesn't want to eat breakfast at night? Right? Like, you can actually enjoy it then. And so we're still going to do all that. But but this is going to be um, a, a big undertaking uh, because usually Saturday is a big deal. Um, we, we need a lot of help. Uh, the days before. We need a lot of help on that day. I imagine that it being on Friday night now and having, you know, another guest, it, it might even get crazier. So you'll be hearing a lot of announcements leading up to um, to this day on what we need. Um, and, and the other thing, just to let you know, um, we had this great idea last, um, I don't know, was it last spring? I, either way, to, to clean out the barn. If you're here for that, we cleaned it out, uh, which means we actually got rid of a lot, a lot of the decorations that have been compiled over the years, over the last decade, right? That's what it felt like. Like just all these decor, all these trees, everything. We decided that they were starting to look a little rough. We didn't know which parts went where. So we just we got rid of a lot of it, okay? Um, and so that means in order to decorate what we need to decorate, we're going to need to get more decorations. And so you'll be hearing announcements about that because we threw it all away. Uh, it's okay though. Uh, it was it was that time. It was that time. So uh, that is um, coming up. It, it's a big deal for us because um, it's that moment where we get to have a lot of people from the community uh, come in this building, uh, and then we have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with them, um, even if it's just uh, feeding them breakfast or saying hello or um, just encouraging them. Um, what I what I want is the community around us to look at at Crosslink and say, this is, this is what, it, what it looks like to love. This is what it looks like to be a family. This is what it looks like to be community. And so that's why I believe the church was meant to be that. The church was meant to be this beacon of hope that where communities around the churches would see, oh, not chaos, not hatred, not judgment, but they would see, they would, they would get a glimpse of Jesus and hit the hope he offers. And so that's what I want us to be. So it's a it's a big deal for us, all right? So um, I'm, I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. Good. Thank you for the feedback. All right. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm, Psalm chapter 19. We're starting a new series. Uh, this series will take us through the end of November, um, but this series is called, uh, it's called Grateful. Um, and, and here's why. Um, the weather has turned. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and, uh, we, we'll get a, a few warm days here and there just to taunt us. But other than that, it's, it's turned and And with the change of seasons, um, some, some people get excited because they love fall. They love Thanksgiving. They love Christmas, but other others, if we're honest, don't enjoy it as much. Depression, 
frustration, knowing that this might be the first Christmas or the first Thanksgiving that you're celebrating when a loved one has passed away. That it starts to kind of create sometimes uh, anxiety and turmoil within people. And so, so I, I have to know that some of us in this room enjoy the season coming up, but there's some of us in this room that, that, that don't. And so what I wanted to do in the month of November is, is maybe kind of allow God to align our hearts to be grateful for who he is, what he is doing, and what he's going to continue to do, regardless of what we're walking through in the moment. That even though the seasons come and go and change, we know that God doesn't change and his pursuit for us is persistent and his pursuit for us is unconditional. And his pursuit for us is found in Jesus Christ. And so it's my hope that as we walk through a few different Psalms over the next several weeks, that it will leave you with maybe a reason to be grateful. Um, Psalm 19 is one of my favorites. I figured it'd be a great place to start. Um, and, uh, I just, I love this poem. I love the way it's laid out. It actually is kind of found in three parts, which you'll see this morning. The first one is to, to look to the heavens. The second one is to look to the word. And the third one is then to look to the inside. Um, and it's just, more than likely, most commentators would say this is one of those those psalms, those hymns, the songs that would have been sung by a lot of Jewish homes. And so there's a good chance that while Jesus was growing up in his home, this would have been one of the psalms he would have been singing. I wonder what it would have been like to be Jesus, the one who is the agent in the creation, singing this psalm, particularly the way it starts. So if I, if I could just draw your attention to verse one, this is what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Man, I, I don't know uh, about you, but um, there have been moments in my life at which all, all I, I needed or, or, or maybe what I didn't know I needed was just to spend some time in creation looking at all that God has done. The fact that he sustains everything. That I don't, I don't know if you know this, there's not a star out of place. And the only reason why the stars are where they are is because Jesus ordained them so. And the fact that our universe still operates the way it operates is because God himself is holding it together. Like for some of us, it's just being able to walk outside and experience the seasons changing. I don't know if you drove um, these past few weeks and saw the leaves as they turned to colors, it's a gorgeous thing. Being in Florida, you, you, don't, get, you don't get to experience that. Warmth you get, but but not the leaves changing. My, my mom and dad, when they were up here, like my mom desperately wanted to stay uh, through October. My dad's like, no, it gets too cold. We're going back to Florida. And my mom wants to stay because she wants to see the leaves change. Because if you're driving um, somewhere where there's just a lot of trees changing color, it's just a gorgeous thing. I remember the day, um, so my family, I was born in Indiana, uh, and then in seventh grade, um, my parents told us as a family, we're moving to Florida. I'm like, great, I think Florida is God's place. It's a better place. I think Florida worships better than Indiana. Um, and uh, because I'm like in Indiana, all we saw was cornfields, all right? Cornfields and cold weather, and that was it. And so I'm like, Florida's great, great. It's, it's, it's beaches, it's, Everything anyone wants. And so we, we moved to Florida. And uh, man, I remember uh, when we went to the beach for the first time when we moved down there. And uh, I know it's probably been a while since some of you have seen a large body of water like a beach, um, an ocean. Uh, but we were there and uh, man, to see the sunset and the sunrise, depending on where you're at, over a large body of water, seeing the expanse of it all. Knowing that the reason why the water doesn't go any further is because God says, no, that's a good spot. Stop there. N knowing that God is holding all of it, it's just a beautiful thing to see that God's creation is worshiping him. 
But then I realized I don't like sand or salt. And so that was short-lived. I don't like jellyfish either. That was, I uh, didn't get in the ocean for that reason. Uh, man worn jelly. When you walk on the water, or <laughs> I didn't walk on the water. Uh, when you walked along the water, the seashore, you, you see all the jellyfish and the man war that are like laying there dead. Like I'm not getting in that water. It's not anyway. So, but there's this road, if I could tell you, um, I know this road very well because when my wife was pregnant with uh, our firstborn, we had to drive from uh, from Okeechobee, Florida to Jensen Beach, Florida uh, for her doctor's appointments because there was no way we were having the baby in Okeechobee. And so we'd make we'd make this trip, but there's this road, it's called the, the grade, and um, the, the trees literally kind of wrap over this road. It's one of the most gorgeous roads I've ever been on. And so just driving through there, man, just turning off the music, just listening, seeing, reminds me that God's creation never stops worshiping its creator. Now us, on the other hand, we pick and choose times at which it is good for us to worship our creator, but creation never stops. In fact, the way this psalm opens up, it's like, this is how um, you can see that God exists. Look at the heavens, it declares his glory and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals his knowledge. In fact, there is no speech nor words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, verse four, goes out through all the earths and their words to the end of the world. Meaning that as creation is steadily worshiping now, there is nothing and no one that doesn't experience creation worshiping God. You see it. We witness it. It's going on. In fact, if, if I could ask you to turn to Romans chapter 18 real quick, Romans chapter 18 kind of gives a clarification for us. Uh, Romans, I say 18, sorry, chapter 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18, lets us know how important it is for God's creation in its worship. That's what it says, verse 18, for the wrath of God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here it is. For what can be known about God is plain to them. How is it plain to them? Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. I want to continue because I want you to see the progression of what happens here. For although they knew God, so they knew about God, they could, they could look at creation. They understood that there must be a designer, one who created all of this. They knew who he was. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies uh, among themselves because they exchanged, ready, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Here's, here's what happens. God creates the universe, the expanse of it all. It shows to you and I um, God's splendor, his grandeur, how magnificent he is, ours, how magnificent he is. We see these things in creation. You can't stand by the Grand Canyon and think you're important. I don't know if you've ever been to something so magnificent like that. You can't stand there and take selfies about yourself thinking this is about you. When you look at creation, what it does is it points to the handiwork of God. It points to a creator who's designed all of this. But then what happens to humanity? 
is we tend to find ourselves more significant than we are. And what happens is we begin to worship the creature rather than the creator. We begin to want the gifts, but not the gift giver. We begin to want the things and the stuff and what's around us more than we want to give thanks to the one who has offered this for our joy. You see, there's something that happens. Creation in itself has a way to point us to God, but then in that moment, our human heart can either choose, there must be a designer that I want to pursue and say my thanks to, or we begin to pursue the creation itself. Go back to Psalm 19. Um, There's many places in scripture. One is Isaiah 40, which I'll encourage you to to read at your own time and leisure later where God talks to um, Isaiah uh, and and literally says, um, "Where, where were you when I set all this in place? Or when he talks to Job, he confronts Job, he's like, oh, you can measure the stars? Like this is something you can do? Like God's bigness and grandeur, I think we have lessened over the years in American Christianity. And the reason is because at the end of the day, if we believe that God is as big as he is in control of all that he's in control of, then at some point we're going to actually have to be accountable to him. So if we make God smaller and us bigger, then we don't need to be held accountable to and so this is what happens. And the Bible wants you and I to say, listen, the grandeur and, and splendor of the Lord, he's so magnificent, so massive. What it calls for us to do is bow our knee, to bow our heart and say, there is none like you. Their voice goes out through the end, through all the earth. In them is set the tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat, except for Ohio. Ohio dodges it right now, Uh, but mostly. I love the way David describes this. Kind of wonder if, as he's keeping watch over sheep at night, He's looking at the stars, looking at all the beauty that God has created. And then the morning comes and he sees the sunrise. And they go about its course and then set. And then the consistency of that, that that God never forgot to let the sun rise the next day. I don't think we understand the importance of God being in control of all of this. If the sun was uh, one degree closer to us, we wouldn't be here. If it was one degree further from us, we wouldn't be here. There's something intriguing about how God has designed things and not only designed things, but how he sustains them. And so as David is looking to the heavens, he's understanding not only is he magnificent, not only is he massive, but he's also in control. He controls the sun rising and setting and then doing it again day to day. In fact, if you want to read something that's phenomenal, there is this one moment at which Joshua's like, hey, hey, can you, um, can you pause the sun just for a little bit? And then God does it. Like you and I can't do that. Have you ever tried to extend a day? Give it a shot. It doesn't work. But God himself controls the sun from its rising to its setting. And the way he describes it, it's like a bridegroom. And, and, and just to give you the cultural context here, it's a bridegroom who is dressed in all of his splendor about to enter into his chamber where his bride is at. Eager to have her for the evening, the night after their celebration of wedding. He's, he's running in there, <laughs> excited in all of his splendor. And the way David describes this is this is the sun and it's rising and it's setting. And there is nothing hidden from its heat, meaning that there is nothing here that could survive without the sun. The way David is depicting this is that there's, there's nothing. Life could not happen without the sun running its course. 
It is impossible for that to happen. And just as creation is in need of the sun and it's running its course, I wonder if maybe there's a wordplay here or something that's pointing to um, towards Jesus later that like creation can operate without the sun, you and I can operate without the sun. That maybe as sure as it is that the sun rises and sets, so is the grace and mercy offered to us through Jesus Christ. And the one who gives us life and breath itself is Jesus. Creation never, never stops magnifying its creator. It's uninterrupted. I've, I've told this before. Some of you may not have heard it. There was a year we took kids to this retreat in Eagle Rock uh, camp in Tennessee. Uh, and, and this is literally up on a mountain in the Smokies. And when you look out from the room that we were in where we had our worship services, it was, it was all glass windows. You could look out and you could see uh, the mountain uh, in all of its splendor and just beautiful. To me, it's one of the most ordained spots I've ever been at. Uh, love it. Um, and, and promise you that we'll make a trip there one day with those who would like to attend. Um, but there was one, one year where I'm like, man, all, all I want, all I want is us as God's people gathered here on this mountaintop to, to worship louder, to worship louder than the creation we see worshiping God at that moment. Because when you look out that window, you see that creation is magnifying the Lord. And so, so that's, that's all I wanted. And our last night that we were there, we, we turned the chairs um, from facing this direction to facing the mountain. And, and it starts out, we go in there in the evening. You can still kind of see the mountain because it's still uh, daylight out. But then as the service progresses, um, then, then uh, nightfall uh, comes in and you, you can't see out the window. But what you do see is the reflection of the people in the room. And we are concluding our last worship set. And we had, I don't, I don't know how many, I think there were like 60 to 80 teens in this room. Every one of them with their hands lifted, singing at the top of their lungs, worshiping the creator. And you know what you saw in the reflection of the window? The teens worshiping. So as the night or as the, as the week progressed and we kept seeing the mountains declare the glory of God, that last night when we were all facing that, we saw the reflection of teenagers, boys and girls who were lifting their hands and lifting their voices in praise of the King and Savior that we started to worship as loud as the mountains were the rest of the week. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But it takes a turn here. In Psalm 19, um, I want you to see it. It goes from looking to the heavens and to see God and his, how he has created all things and all things worship him. I want you to see verse seven says this. The law, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. In, in my experience in church, what I have realized that we need more often than not is a reviving of the soul. How many of you know that life out there tends to beat us up? that there's situations and circumstances that we're going to walk through that are going to be hard and they're not going to be what we wanted. And so what ends up happening often is that when we show up here on a Sunday morning, most of the time we're a little discouraged, maybe a little brokenhearted, maybe a little like our, our soul is downcasted. And what we need in that moment is some reviving. What, what we need is God to restore our soul. Because what this verse implies, if I could, is that this person, David or anyone else, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It implies that the soul is weary and in need of being revived. And if, if you walk around and think that the soul is not in need of being revived, 
I would contend that you're not seeing what it is that's truly going on. Um, there's only one place that can revive the soul. Did, did you see it? The law of the Lord is perfect. I'm going to add to it here just because it's going to unfold for us this way, but the words of the Lord, the words of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. So if your soul is downcasted, if your soul is in need of reviving, there's, there's one place to go that seems to promise or guarantee a revival of the soul. It's right here. Listen, let me, let me tell you what won't revive your soul. Um, if your soul is weary and you expect your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend to revive your soul, it won't work. Not very well. Now, now, don't get me wrong, your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse can encourage the reviving of your soul, but the place you go to have your soul revived is God's words. Uh, work? Work's not going to revive the soul. <laughs> Some of you are like, Amen. Job titles, not going to revive the soul. An uptick in your bank account, you think that the, the, the stress and the turmoil and the frustration going on in your life is attached to the uh, low amount in your bank account. So if that just kind of gets bigger, then you're going to be better. Here's what I'm telling you, that won't revive the soul. There is nothing that has been created that can revive the soul. But the words of the Lord. And we, listen, we tend to run to so many things thinking that this will bring us what we need. We're probably oftentimes like the woman at the well that Jesus has this divine appointment with. She's there by herself because she's broken. She's outcasted. She's run to relationship after relationship to find significance and hasn't found any of it. And there she sits at this well meeting Jesus and he and his words revive her soul. Everything else has left her wanting. Everything else has left her empty. Yet the voice, the words of Jesus revive her soul. So I'm telling you what we need more of are people going to God's words for the revival of their soul. And it's the last place we go. You ever notice? We go everywhere else. And, and a lot of times it's, um, it's because we use excuses like, I just don't understand it. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. I don't have time. I try. I don't like to read. We have all kinds of excuses. But I believe the way God has wired us is if you want to see your soul revive, you turn to his words. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And he's going to give some sentiments here. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Like He's using all these words I don't like. To be honest, law, testimony, precepts, commandments. Like these are, like I'm a seven. I'm rebellious in nature. As you know, spontaneous. I don't, I don't, uh, like these things, rules don't give me joy, Okay. Some of you understand what I am saying. Uh, and so I read these things. I'm like, yes, this is great. Um, I don't know if I'm there, uh, but it continues. The fear of the Lord is clean or pure, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Uh, each one of these words just kind of describe a little bit more or in a little bit more detail what it is that God is doing. Uh, when it talks about the testimony, it's talking about the witness of the Lord, the truth about the Lord is sure. Uh, when it says precepts, um, the rules of personal conduct, so what God is laying out there, what this should look like is right, rejoice in the heart, the 
commandments or the directives of the Lord are pure and the rules or the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. All of these things, just describing in a new way what God is up to. But, but verse 10 is what gets me. More to be desired are they than gold and even much fine gold. Or sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Anyone? Like, like I read that, God's law, God's testimony, his precepts, his commandments, all of these things revive the soul and more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Uh, I'm going to be the first one to confess this. I'm not there. I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that as a pastor, as a husband, and as a father, um, that God's words, his law, his truth are, uh, I desire them more than other things. But there are moments, more moments than I would like to confess, at which I desire other things more than I desire God's words. I'm, I'm not here like I should be here. I'm gonna be honest, I, I sometimes I desire food more than time in God's words. Like, like what, what happens is, and, and people ask me, and I've shared this with teenagers, like the best way to read the scriptures, here's the best way to read the Bible. You read a few verses over and over and over again until you say, God, make this verse alive in me. Don't move on until... I mean, it's not a race trying to get through the Bible in 365 days. Don't do that. Read a verse like this, that your laws, your words are uh, to be more desired than gold. And stop there like, is that true in my life? Are God's words more desired to me than, than my relationships? Are his words more desirable to me than... Money. Are they more desirable to me than fill in the blank? Let's just be honest for a moment. Man, we, we are so distracted by so many other things. We pursue so many other things that we have a downcasted soul and the last place we tend to turn are God's words because in all reality, they are not like the drippings of a honeycomb to us. They are not more desired than gold to us. And so no wonder it's the last place we turn or third to last. Like I, I want this in my life. So, so when, I, when I think about the, the season that we are in, I, I, I want... God, to awaken in me a longing and a desire to know, love his words. It's like the prophet Jeremiah, one of my favorite verses in chapter 15 says that your words came to me. They became my joy and my delight. He even says in there that he consumes them. Can, can we get to a place as a people who value God's words above all else? The reason why I believe our culture has gone the direction it has gone is because we have devalued the very words of God. that what we tend to turn to is our own uh, wisdom or our own voices or our own feelings or our own experiences that begin to dictate God's words. And we wonder why we are not being revived. It's crazy because my, my favorite thing to do um, is to get with a group of men and wherever we're at, uh, 
Mark's cabin in the middle of nowhere where there's no toilet. At Royale Cigar Lounge or out back here and just be with a group of men and talking about life, God's words, and what does it look like to desire more of a relationship with Jesus? And to me, there's nothing more beautiful than that. We could talk sports all day long. We can talk about anything else, but there's something to me that, that captivates my heart and my soul when I finally get to see men who hunger and thirst for Jesus. Like, how, how do we get here? How do we get to a place where the law, God's words, begin to revive our soul? I think it starts with, with trusting that they are true and that they are sure and that there is nothing else that can set you free like the very words of God. But it, it doesn't stop there. We got a few more verses to go. Verse 11 Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Um. I want to point something out. It says in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. I read this um, uh, commentary. Uh, this is a quote directly from there. It was brilliant. Um, this is what he says. Recognizing that a fault may be hidden, not because it is too small, but because it is too characteristic to register. When David says, declare me innocent from my hidden faults, it's not that these faults are too small. It's that they're too entwined with his own character that he doesn't see them. It means they're so intrinsic that he himself can't reveal them. So after he looks to the heavens and sees the work of God's hands, and then he looks to the words to revive his soul, now he looks inward and realizes God's creation's worshiping him. God's words are alive. I'm broken. Our, our, our community, our culture tells us, hey, here's where you look first. Look to yourself first. Look inside first and then look for a community that accepts you for who you are, and then sprinkle in some God here and there. That's, it's backwards. That doesn't work. Listen, if you look inside first, guess what? You wonder why you have drama and brokenness and frustration? It's because if you look inward, what you bring outward is brokenness. There is nothing in any of us that if left to our own devices won't create brokenness. God's words are perfect. They heal what is broken. But we first have to acknowledge that there's brokenness. And so David's like, listen, God, here's what I need from you. There are things in me, inside my character, I don't see that I know don't glorify you. Clean them up, please. T please, please take care of them. Do you know what kind of humility it takes to have true introspection? Would you say that we are a people who are very self-aware? Like that's one of our greatest qualities is that someone can come to us and say, listen, I see some things in your life that aren't going very well. I think you need to fix X, Y, and Z. Do you think we respond to that well? No. If someone comes to you and says, hey, listen, I've been noticing some things in your life. It's not going well. You're like, really? Well, I got a list about you two. So you tell me your issues with me and then I will get my list out and share mine with you. That's how we, we're defensive. We say one of two things. We're like, you don't have the right to judge me because we don't have relationship. 
or we are in a relationship and we say, you don't have the right to judge me because I know you're crooked too. So it's a win-win for me. That means I have to be accountable to no one. This is not true. Listen, the creator of the universe who created everything sees and knows everything. And he gives his words to become the measuring stick for you and I, and we don't measure up. That's what the author's saying. We're broken. We have, we have hidden faults. We have faults that we need other people around us to point out through the truth and spirit of God. So, so here's my question. Have you put yourself in circles with groups of people who you have given them the place and position to call you out? And you'll receive it? I think there's some things going on here as David's crying out to God. He's letting us know that the way this thing works is that first and foremost, we go to scriptures to revive our soul. And as we go to scriptures to revive our soul, what happens is we see that we're broken, that we need community, that we need people around us to help us so that these hidden faults don't control us, that these presumptuous sins don't overtake us. Like what we need are people around us who God has placed in our lives to grow us. And these are things we don't like. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna conclude. It wasn't gonna be long this morning. So Sierra, you can make it. With. Verse 13 is important. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So not only are there hidden faults within us, laced within our own personality and characteristics, but there's also, there's also sins that we choose. That is, that's our choice. Like this is my decision. I'm going to choose this regardless of what's going on. Um, I, I love that David includes this because it allows us to understand that no matter how close or far we get to or from God, what ends up happening is that each one of us um, tend to choose things in our lives that are harmful and sinful, that actually hurt our relationship with God and hurt our relationship with one another. So, so let me just do this. So we all are in a safe place. Anyone here over the past two weeks make a choice to maybe sin? Oh, we won't be honest. Like three, four people. Okay, the rest of you just did. So uh, made a choice right now not to raise your hand. So that you know, liars. The, uh, we, we, we do. It's that moment where you're easily angered. And like, like parenting, anyone ever see themselves get so upset with their kids? You're like, where did that wrath come from? Where did that, like, what is, what is broken inside me that I was so angry at that? That moment when you choose something else over your family? That moment where you choose to chase down some thoughts that you probably should have held captive. Like, like every one of us in this room, not only do we have hidden faults, we have things that we choose on a regular basis that David's like, listen, please, please, can you, can you help keep back your servant from these presumptuous sins? What that tells me is that there's this growth that happens in our lives at which we start to turn to God more than away from him. That we choose to pursue him, not pursue our own selfish desires. And this is what he says. Let them not have dominion over me. We've been here before and that won't take too long, but we can't domesticate sin in our lives. They eventually 
will devour you. So I think David's just like honest and bare before the Lord in this moment. So I know I'm broken. I know I got hidden faults. I know I make stupid decisions often. And the only way for me to break free from these and the only way for them not to have dominion over me is God, if you get involved. Can you, can you get involved? Can you, can you help me? Can you, through your grace, mercy, and love, keep me from going this direction and look at his response? Then I shall be blameless and innocent um, of great transgression. David says the only way they don't have dominion and the only way I can be blameless and innocent is if God gets involved. It's if God gets involved. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And this is how God gets involved. Last phrase. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, I don't know what you're struggling with, what you've been struggling with. But the way God gets involved to make us blameless and innocent of great transgressions is by sending his son to become our rock and our redeemer. By sending his son to do what it is that we could not do for ourselves. By sending his son who was without fault and without sin. so that those who are with faults and riddled with sin could be redeemed by the one who had no sin. But, but I think the way this happens is that we first have to acknowledge the fact that we are sinful, that we are broken, that we tend to run to these things. And what David's trying to get us to understand is to lay naked and bare before the Lord and let him do his work. We don't do this enough. We measure up with the people next to us. I'm not as bad as you. You make me feel good about myself. But we don't do, we don't do a good enough job at laying ourselves bare before the Lord and realizing we don't ever measure up. So the option we have is, okay, because I don't measure up, because I am broken, because I have faults, because I have sins. I need a rock and I need a redeemer. Is there anywhere I can have that rock and that redeemer? And God's like, yeah, I got the solution for you. It's my son. He will be your rock and he will be your redeemer. When life gets hard, when the wind blows, when things get difficult, you'll be secure on a rock, Jesus. When you fall and mess up again and again, you'll be reminded that you have been redeemed, rescued, and saved by the perfect work of Jesus. So, because there's probably some of us in this room who have had it this week or at times a soul that needs revived, I hope that Psalm 19 will resonate. Maybe what you need to do is just look to the heavens and be reminded on how great and how big and how massive God is. And then maybe in the process of doing that, you're like, okay, God, you're this big. Who am I that you are mindful of me? And, and maybe then what you need to do is turn to his words, maybe a little bit more than we have been so the soul can be revived. And then maybe lay yourself naked and bare before him. Say, can you fix what's broken? Please. And so I have a song. If you just stand with me for a moment. There's a song that we're going to sing together that, that I hope gives you even more of a reflection time to allow God to revive your soul. 
But as the house lights go off, what, what I'm going to ask is those who are part of our prayer team to come to my left and my right. If, if at any moment, man, you just need prayer, don't leave here without. It's crazy to me because we do this every week. I think, uh, I think in the Christian culture, we just kind of get used to this, that, uh, that going to the front or going for prayer or singing at the end is for those who are like, like incredibly broken. I'm only sort of broken. So the, the, the really broken need it. Like I don't, I don't need it as much. Man, I'm here to tell you that every one of us in this room probably have walked through something within the past month that has tired our soul. And what we need is God's words. What we need is to sing. And what we need is people to pray with. So we need, so it revives us. And so as we sing this song, at any time, if you need prayer, if you need direction, if you need help, if you need, man, come to us. Because everyone else in this room are broken in need of Jesus, who is our rock and our savior. Father, we love you. We love you. Lift our soul as we sing to you. Help us in this moment. Revive our heart, revive our minds, revive our soul. Allow us to leave this place grateful, not because we have accomplished anything, but because you have accomplished much. And your grace and your mercy overwhelms us in this moment. We love you. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.